For some time now, a lot of you have been asking for desert horror stories. And I'm happy to say that we finally have had enough sent in to do a video on it. So, today's episode is Desert Horror Stories. Welcome back to the swamp, my friends. Good to see you made it back for another episode. Today I'm going to be sharing some creepy and allegedly true desert horror stories sent in by viewers just like you. As always, if you have a horror story that you would like to share, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I'd love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. Now, without further ado, let's get into these creepy and allegedly true horror stories from the desert that'll keep you away from the sand tonight. A few years ago now, I took a break from my regular 9-to-5 job to go traveling around the world. It started with a nasty breakup with my girlfriend. I was fixated on it, like I literally couldn't get some of the things she said out of my mind, and it got to the point to where it was pretty severely affecting my performance at work. Luckily, my boss was pretty sympathetic towards the situation. He told me that I should take an extended holiday to basically flush my system then returned to work with the focus and drive I'd lost as a result of the breakup. That gave me the idea to go traveling. My travel started pretty simple at first. I rented a car and began to drive around Europe, seeing all the places that my ex had never fancied visiting when we were together. But it wasn't long before I developed a real thirst for adventure and began to crave visits to less conventional holiday destinations. That's how I ended up in the Sahara Desert. Egypt was an incredible country to visit. Seeing the Great Pyramids was a truly a bucket list experience. But time after time, I felt like I was only seeing the exact same thing every tourist does when they're in the country. I wanted to get out somewhere off the beaten path to have a truly unique experience. So I found myself checking out brochures for desert tours. Like I said, Almost every single one seemed like a complete tourist trap, where they'd take you out into the desert on a camel train, lead you around in a circle, then head back to civilization. I remember mentioning that exact thing to a guy in a tourist office, who in turn told me he had a friend that did business with a tribe of Bedouins, who lived out in the Sahara. For a small fee, his friend would drive me out into the desert, where, in exchange for a bit of cash, I might be able to arrange a short stay among the tribesmen to experience an ancient way of living that would make my experience truly unique. So a few days after, I sat there in a 4x4, driving out into the Sahara with a complete stranger named Rashid. Rashid barely spoke any English, but still found ways to communicate, and getting on the road for my first proper adventure made me feel like a discount Lawrence of Arabia or something. But the views of the desert were really something else. It was like an ocean of sand out there. The heat wasn't the only thing that fried my brain, just the sight of miles and miles of dunes as far as the eye could see. It was absolutely incredible, and some of my best photos from the entire trip were taken from the tops of some of those mountains of rock and sand. Staying with the Bedouins, was an amazing experience too. I didn't think 
They would be so welcoming to a complete stranger that wished to insert himself into their lives, but they didn't seem to mind at all. They called me Masafer, which means traveler in Arabic, and invited me into their tents to drink coffee and sample their food. But the thing is, it is customary for Bidwin to offer their guest meat from the head of the sheep they slaughter in their honor, particularly the eyeballs. Eating a sheep's eyeballs was probably one of the scariest, most high-pressure things I've ever had to do. I was absolutely terrified of puking or retching in front of them, as there were ways that that could be taken out of context as an insult. I didn't want to be ungrateful, but not only did I manage to keep it down, it didn't actually taste bad at all. It had an unusual texture, sure, but it wasn't unbearable by any stretch of the imagination. I thought the worst was over, but I couldn't have been more wrong. The next morning, Rashid, who'd stayed overnight with me so he could drive me back the following day, shook me awake in the guest tent. He was frantically talking in Arabic, and although I could not understand exactly what he was saying, I could tell from the tone of his voice that something was horribly wrong. But like I said, we did not need much to be able to have a basic level of understanding. And when he picked up my rucksack and threw it towards me, I knew what he was getting at. We need to get out of here. And outside the tent, in my half-awake days, I thought it might have been out of anger. But as I came to my senses and walked outside of the tent, I realized what was in their voices. It was fear. In the distance, I saw something that at first I'm not sure my tiny western brain could have computed. Even now, I still don't understand everything. We don't have all that much in the way of extreme weather in England. The worst it gets is usually some heavy wind and rain. So seeing a huge wall of darkness on the horizon, a gargantuan mass of brown and black, was just about the most terrifying thing I'd ever seen in my life. It was a sandstorm, and it was approaching fast. Unlike the Bidwin, we were completely unprepared for a sandstorm of that magnitude. The damage it would do to our lungs if we were caught out in it, not to mention the damage it would do to Rashid's vehicle, might mean we would be stranded in the desert for a long, long time, and the Bidwin only had barely enough supplies to support themselves, let alone two other strangers. We had to get out of there, and we had to do it quick. We barely got out in time, and looking back to see the Bidwin camp swallowed up by the storm as it continued to pursue us across the desert was honestly terrifying. It was so impossibly huge. It reminded me of something out of a Lovecraft horror story or something. Something that was so impossible to behold that is kind of maddening. Like it frazzles your brain just to lay eyes on it. We did end up making it back to civilization in time, where I held up in my hotel room until the storm passed. But the whole time I couldn't keep my mind off those poor Bidwin, stuck out in the desert because they just didn't have time to pack up and leave so they could dodge the storm. I ended up traveling all around Asia and America on my travels and I have a few more scary stories from a handful of different places, but nothing really compares to laying eyes on that sandstorm for the first time. Sure, people can be scary enough, but I don't think they'll ever quite be able to match the kind of awesome terror that Mother Nature is capable of generating. I love listening to your stories while I drive to work around the state. I live in Arizona, and I am an avid hiker and explorer. 
Some years ago, there was a meteor shower that would be visible in the early morning. So, my dad, mom, and my wife all decided to drive away from the city lights to a darker area in the desert to see it. We drove about an hour or so outside the city to a place with an old dirt road going off into some small mountains. We found a place to park that was flat and got our camping chairs out to relax and watch the sky. It was a little chilly out. And that night, we did see quite a few meteors. While we were there, we noticed a bat kept flying over our heads. I was not alarmed as I've seen them many times before, and usually they don't bother you. This time though was different. The bat kept getting closer to us and swooping down where we could almost feel it. My wife was getting a little freaked out and wanted to move, but I said just ignore it a little more. After some time goes by, we noticed a small dim light in the distance alongside the ground. It was very dark out and hard to see the terrain, but it appeared to be on or near the road. I kept thinking that it could be some sort of car, maybe it was a motorcycle, but I don't know. After a while, I realized it was just a single light, so the motorcycle idea was my most prominent one. As we continued to watch this light slowly move in our direction, the strangest part is that it moved smooth and level. The road was very bumpy, with gravel and rocks on it, so any vehicle would bounce up and down. Not just that, but it was completely quiet. Maybe a person walking, but they would still have the movement of their stride. We all felt completely creeped out. Along with this very dark road and no one being around, our vibe was very off. So we decided to grab our chairs and get in the car to leave. To this day, I have no explanation for what we saw. Was it an orb of light or something more ordinary? Thanks for sharing my story, Swamp Dweller. This is my first time sharing a story, but this was an experience that my friends and I shared in a desert in Southern California. My friends and I went on a camping trip for three days in the desert last fall. We went out to hike, explore, and go shooting where we could go without posing a danger to anyone. There were about seven of us in total, and of those seven, myself and two others are emergency medical professionals. We'll call my two EMS friends A and E. We set up camp near the road in an area that had an embankment that would make for a good and safe range. The first day and night went well. However, I remember as the sun was setting, a truck slowly drove by with a large trailer in tow. Normally this wouldn't really catch my eye, but I noticed the cargo, though covered, didn't look like any sort of camping gear, and the truck bed was empty. The two men in the cab of the vehicle and I locked eyes as they passed. I gave a friendly wave and a smile, but they just stared at me, emotionless. After a moment, they both turned away and floored it out of sight, trailer rumbling in suit. I didn't think much of it at the time, so I just went with my business for the night until bedtime. The second day was full of more hiking and shooting. We stopped around dusk as to not disturb other nearby campers with loud gunfire. As darkness fell, we made our bonfire and cracked open a beer and just talked for quite some time. Amid the conversation, I saw a slight reddish glow drop behind a nearby hill and vanish. I brought it up with the group and asked, 
Did anyone else see that? No one else had seen what I did, so I excused it as me mistaking it as an ember from the fire. Around ten minutes go by, and I see it again. Except, it was high in the sky and deeper into the desert. It's a flare, said one of the group. An emergency flare, maybe? I added. We decided that if we see another one go off, some of us would go off to see if anyone needed help, as we brought advanced medical supplies. A few minutes go by and sure enough, we spot another flare, a little bit west of where the last one was seen. We made a plan. A, E, myself, and another one of our friends who we will call Jay, would venture out into A's truck to find out whoever needed help. Now, certain areas of the desert were kind of used by cartels at one point. They were like transport routes, so we also brought some of our firearms just in case we needed to protect ourselves from some sort of attack. We loaded up our medical equipment, hopped into the truck, and began driving out, leaving the others to keep watch if whoever needed help came to the camp. We headed in the direction of the last flare. Windows rolled down, listening for calls for help, as well as announcing that if someone was in distress, they should call out to us. Continuing on, another flare shot up further west than the last, illuminating the rocky hills in a dim red hue. I called up through that direction and found a small dried ravine that we could use as a passage. We turned down the dark ravine and drove for some time. The only light being that of the truck, which only seemed to make the overwhelming darkness that much more imposing and oppressing. All while calling out, but hearing nothing in return, another flare came up. Close by, but still too far to see anyone. We continued forward until we hit the end of the ravine, which led to somewhat of a natural cul-de-sac surrounded by rocky hills on three sides. We hopped out and searched the area for a bit until our flashlights began to dim because I think the batteries were dying. We yelled out over and over, but no one responded. It was empty, but we could have sworn this is where it was coming from. After searching a bit more to be thorough, we decided to check another area down the main road. The end of the ravine was tight for the truck, but there was just enough room to make a U-turn. Jay and I decided to hop into the truck bed for the search, so we could see more than what the back seat would allow. As we turned out, a large cloud of dust and gravel hit me with a loud accompanying hiss. What the hell just happened? yelled A. I think you blew a tire, buddy, I replied. We hopped out and inspected, and found that his rear passenger tire had blown, but I noticed something a bit off. The blow was on the wall of the tire and clean, not on the bottom and jagged, as it would be if we hit a sharp rock. I brought up how suspicious that was, but they reasoned that it must have been a larger sharp stone. As they got to work replacing the tire with the spare, I stood watch. There was some difficulty with changing the wheel. The tire iron bent, and so did one of the lug nuts. As they worked, I heard something approaching me quickly from the darkness. I immediately turned and drew my pistol, turning the light towards the sound. A large rock had rolled down on one of the jagged hills to my right and stopped about ten feet away from me. I shined my light up to the top. I didn't see anything but some small rocks and gravel were still tumbling down the slope. I almost laughed at how I reacted, but then another small rock began tumbling down toward me. 
a few feet away from me from the same area. I shined my light again, but I saw no one. I became a bit paranoid. Those rocks were way too big to be moved by an animal, and they both came from the same direction. I relayed the information to my friends, but they blew it off, saying I was being too paranoid. I agreed that was a possibility, but I never did let my guard down. My gut feeling was telling me something was wrong. I was on edge the entire time, even thinking to myself that the flares might be some kind of trap or lure. In the meantime, we were cracking jokes about our luck. The situation sucks, but I'm glad I'm with y'all, said A. The feeling was mutual. My buddies had just finished up replacing the tire when yet another flare rocketed off into the sky, near the ravine entrance. We called out as we loaded back up into the truck, but once more, we were met with silence. We drove back down to the beginning of the trail and saw no one. We began to doubt if anyone was in trouble, and if it was just some dumb kids playing around with a flare gun, which is illegal to misuse. With that said, we weren't going to give up that easily. We began driving deeper into the desert on the main road when another flare was spotted. This one puzzled us. Up until then, they were all roughly in the same area. This one was way further northwest of the last one. How the hell are they all the way over there now? I wondered. If these are some idiot teens doing this, we would need to tell them that they can't just go off causing worry like that. It's irresponsible, said E. We did agree that if that's the case, we should talk to them and their parents. We don't take emergencies lightly. We pushed on towards the last seen light, which led us to something that puzzled us. We arrived at a dark campsite surrounded by two hills. The headlights revealed two tents, scattered belongings, and an old fire pit. We exited the vehicle, began our approach on foot, but something was clearly wrong. The tents were unoccupied, but still had a load of gear, inside and out, and the fire pit was clearly stomped out with coals just barely glowing. It looked like it was quickly abandoned. Even if they went hiking or out on a walk, they left their equipment, shoes, packs, everything. As I searched, I found an even more unsettling sight. Shotgun shells. 12 gauge. And they weren't old. They had to have been fired recently. There was no dust on them. Even after half a day in the desert, they'd be covered in dirt carried by the wind. And still smelled of gunpowder. I showed my buddies and they agreed. This was too odd. We later found deep tire marks, like someone left in a hurry. That's when I saw it. It was an ominous orange glow coming from over the north hill that overlooked the abandoned campsites. I asked E to accompany me to check it out. As we ascended the hill, we heard a small noise grow louder and louder. Once we reached the top, we looked down into a barren valley to see what I couldn't really make out at first. What's that? asked E. I didn't answer him at first because I was focused on what was before us. Roughly, 50 yards away, there was a large circle of dark figures in hoods and robes, arms stretched to their sides and all of them vocalizing in a low chant. In the center was a wide ring of fire, and in the center of the flames revealed by the fire's light was an immensely large black pyramid frame. I mean, this thing was giant. A bit off behind the group, the truck and trailer I saw earlier, with some other vehicles. Uh, I think it's a cult, I replied. As I spoke those words, the chanting stopped, and the group of what must have been fifty people all turned towards us in silence. 
At that moment, I realized I never turned off my flashlight. They all raised their arms once more and let out a horrifying and loud wail. First, just one. Then they all began to join until the sound was overtaking my own thoughts. We gotta get the heck out of here now, I told E in a hushed but anxious tone. We turned and booked it down the hill. Start the truck, E yelled. A and J looked at us confused and almost amused. Why's that? chuckled A. It's a cult and they know we're here, I explained out of breath. A and J could see that we were not playing, so he ushered us into the truck and hauled ass out of there back to the camp. As we got onto the main road, something happened that made A and J fully believe us and confirmed my suspicions about the flares. From every hill along the main road, flares shot up into the sky from all sides, illuminating the desert around us, either a warning or a threat. As we would drive more and more, they would fly above us, encompassing the sky above until we got far enough away the flares fell and faded behind us. We got back and explained everything to the rest of the camp. Happy to be back with our lives, they looked up at us as they didn't really fully believe it but they knew we weren't just going to make something up like this. We speculated that it was either some kind of lure or a warning system for the cult. We slept close that night and kept firearms nearby. When we awoke, we cleaned up and got ready to leave. I was clearing debris from the range when I stumbled on something that wasn't there before. A small wooden pyramid frame, charred black and still smoldering. I called attention to it, and we promptly left. We got back and went on with our lives. I think back to this event every now and then, and I'm thankful that my friends and I weren't harmed, and I hope that the owners of that abandoned camp were able to escape unscathed. I have no idea what that cult was or what those people were doing. I have no clue if they were a legitimate cult or just some people trying to prank campers. I'm fortunate that I have had no other run-ins like this, but I now know there are some strange people in that desert. I live out here in Las Cruces, New Mexico, right on the edge of the Chihuahuan Desert. About once a month, me and a few of my buddies drive out to the Chihuahuan Desert Nature Park to drink Coronas and grill up some meat on a campfire. All but one of us are married with kids now, having put our wilder days behind us. So getting out to the nature park every so often is pretty much the only time we get to hang out and escape the mundanity of family life. Don't get me wrong, I love my wife and kids, and I'm pretty happy in my career, but nothing beats hooking up with the boys for a few hours for some beer and big boy talk. So this one time, we are out there sinking brews and complaining about the Cardinals, with hot dogs and jerky. When I find myself needing to sneak off to take a pee, I find myself a collection of little shrubs to serve as an impromptu urinal, and unsheathe my pork sword and begin to relieve myself. I should note at this point that I'm wearing khaki shorts and boots, just so you can picture how this goes down. On our way home from a camping trip, my family stopped by the Oak Springs Trilobite site to fossil hunt. If you don't know the southeastern Nevada desert, the attractions are low to moderately traveled, and you will often be one of the only visitors. This site in particular was empty, and we were the only people there. A quarter mile trail leads you to a shale deposit where you can sift through the fossils. 
Shortly after starting out, I heard a man call out conversationally. Not really shouting, but talking loud enough to communicate with someone a distance away. I was facing west on a south-facing slope, and he sounded like he was down and to the left, closer to me than the highway. I paused and took a look around, and there was no dust or engine noises from OHVs, no crunching of footsteps, nothing. There were flies buzzing about, and I decided a bug buzzed in my ear and sounded weird. A minute later, I heard another man call out, this time up the slope to my right, probably another bug. Sounds can be kind of messy in a rocky canyon, no big deal. We came upon the site, dug around for 30 minutes, it was really hot, found a new, unimpressive specimen, and headed back for the truck. At this point, I had forgotten all about the voices. Driving away, I asked my husband, what did you think? Pretty cool? I'm the rock hound of the group and never know if anybody else is enjoying the time like I am. He replied, sure, it was actually pretty cool. But I kept hearing these voices and I couldn't tell where they were coming from. He had a face shield up over his ears at the time, making it unlikely a bug could have buzzed in there. He said he was hearing them on the way back to the truck and heard them calling out at least three times. Caliente is nearby, and Pioche is a ways further, and both towns have histories dating back to the ye old mining days and Mormon frontiering. There are lots of railroad, gunfight, and native raid stories, and, honestly, there are some weird Warren Jeffs type stuff, not to mention Area 51 being sorta relatively nearby. Now, we are atheists and skeptics, don't believe in ghost stories, and neither of us have ever had a paranormal experience. But this one, this one has us scratching our hats. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true desert horror stories. If you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to give this episode a like as it helps us a ton in the YouTube algorithm. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it. And that helps me out a ton. If you're listening to this on iTunes or another podcast platform, please give this a 5-star rating over there, as that's incredibly helpful. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future video, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I'd love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that help keep this show going on a daily basis. If you're on the go, but don't have YouTube Premium but still want to listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and just about everywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. It's absolutely free and always will be. If you would like to support the Swamp outside of hitting that like button, subscribing to us on YouTube, and giving us a 5-star rating on iTunes, maybe check out the merch store. I've got t-shirts, hoodies, and more, and I'd love to see you guys wearing some cool swamp threads. Don't forget to join me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and I'll see you all soon with another creepy video.